0: It's got a soul. This here old farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. for love is here at Goldshaw Farms.
1: Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are farming, homesteading, and chasing their dreams. And right about now, I'm really feeling like I'm chasing my dream. You know, it's early morning here on our farm in Northern Vermont. I just woke up and came outside to do my animal chores. And I gotta say, the world is feeling pretty darn great right now. Hey, geeselings, how you doing this morning? Huh? All right. Out with the goslings. Like my first step right now is to let out our five-week-old goslings that I'm raising in uh, mobile chicken tractors out here on our pasture. The reason I'm doing the geese is because I think that they might be a more sustainable form of pastured poultry. You know, unlike chickens and and ducks which, when you're raising them for meat, require a fair amount of grain input. These geese are mostly eating grass right now and it's been a pretty incredible experiment. If I think about where I am today and compare myself to where I was, say, five, six years ago, it's been a crazy amount of change that's happened to me personally. I was you know, just working as an office guy and living in Washington, D.C. I could have never imagined starting my mornings like this. And when I look back and say, well, what prompted that change? What got me into the slow food movement? What got me interested in permaculture? What got me interested in trying to start my own farm? Well, it was a lot of incredible people creating content, people who were mentors, people who were storytellers. And one of the biggest storytellers out there that influenced and motivated me was a guy by the name of Justin Rhodes. I can guarantee that most of you guys are familiar with who Justin is, but those of you who aren't, well, Justin is a homesteader and filmmaker who lives down in uh, the Asheville, North Carolina area. For the last several years, he has been running this awesome YouTube channel, building this incredible homestead and farm, and becoming a documentary filmmaker with a series of films like Permaculture Chickens and the, The Great American Farm Tour. And you know, when I think about what we're doing here at Goldshaw Farm and I look back, watching Justin's YouTube videos and and documentaries was a huge part of what initially influenced me to get up off the couch and start doing things and change my life. Now the other day I actually had an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Justin. I learned a ton from my conversation with Justin in terms of how he got started, what it takes to manage a homestead, how to think about running animals and creating animal systems. So, without me hyping this whole thing up too much here, here's my conversation with Justin Rhodes. Enjoy it.
0: Well, when I was 10 years old, I probably wanted to be a professional baseball player. I was into collecting baseball cards, baseball players were my heroes, and stuff like that. So, yeah, my dad worked in Atlanta, so we saw that a lot of Atlanta Braves games. So, 10 years old, baseball player.
1: And and was it the baseball that led to the um, the mountain boarding?
0: <laughs> in no way did the baseball lead to mountain boarding. Uh, what led to mountain boarding was somehow I got into snowboarding and then being in western North Carolina, the snowboarding is not that great around here. And from where where I am in Asheville, you got to drive an hour and a half to the snow. And then I just saw a mountain board one day and I thought, well, that, there's your mountain board without your need for snow. And so I had this property that I'm currently on now and it has hills and I was able to snowboard year round. But this just had wheels on it.
1: Beyond the actual mountain boarding itself, what were some of the, the biggest skills that you found personally that you developed through that experience?
0: The mountain boarding experience? Yeah. Okay, so business skills for sure, and movie making for sure. Uh, right now I uh, make YouTube videos and put them online about our life homesteading, but uh, people say, did you go to college for filmmaking and whatnot? No, no I didn't, and I went to the to the college of hard knocks and that's just i did it and i just did it i've been making movies my whole life really looking back on it some family home home movies and then in mountain boarding i started this is way back in vhs my first movie came out on vhs and it was just an action movie of people mountain boarding so yeah, that translated, and then the business side of things, online business, online marketing, things like that, all a lot of it played into what I'm doing now, for sure.
1: That's a big gap, though, from making you know, mountain boarding videos that you're selling kind of on VHS tapes, direct sale, to, to what you do today as, as sort of the permaculture, permaculture chicken ninja master. How, how does that transition and, and progression really take place?
0: That is a long story but i'll try to make it short so and then you can ask anything in, in for any more details that you'd like but so um I, well i was getting older uh and you don't have to be too old to be old in mountain boarding so i was probably oh shoot i need rebecca for this but i was probably 20 20 i guess i was pushing 30 uh maybe 20 somewhere in between late late 20s don't, don't worry and about. It. i try to avoid figured, doing math in public you i think i figured that uh I could I there was opportunities to well I was getting older and so I basically retired from mountain boarding but I got involved in community service work and and we ended up working uh, so how did that happen though so gosh it's all such a long story so just retiring from mountain boarding but the mountain boarding being on my land Oh, i know where i know where i went okay so we got involved in community service work worked at a local uh, it's a group home for children and helped them foster gosh we ended up fostering like 34 kids there uh, black mountain home for children and then uh Got an opportunity to go to Honduras and work at an orphanage there. And we did that for three months. You, you get a 90-day visa into Honduras. So we said, let's go serve there for, for 90 days. And we had a great time. Well, th- we worked our tails off. You know, first month, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, ne- next month, oh, this is crazy hard. Third month, oh, yeah, you know, we could do this long term if we wanted to. Well, the, I, I came in there with a servant's heart and I said, you guys do with me whatever you want. I'll, I'll, I'm here to, I'm willing to do anything. And maybe that was a mistake saying that because that was day one day two. He said, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna run the farm, a, a section of the farm anyway, and you're gonna make sure these boys are always working not running away and not killing each other because you got to remember they're they're mowing the grass with machetes over there and they're mowing the entire farm with machetes and they've got tools and all kinds of stuff so interesting job given that i only know one word of spanish at this point hola and i'm in charge of these boys but i'm also in charge of 1200 chickens and at this point i had no experience with chickens so i had to keep 1200 chickens alive in this coop they were I didn't know at the time but they were sea monsters they were Cornish cross meat birds and I had to keep them alive and they harvest at six weeks old instead of eight weeks old that felt like forever there then and I didn't know any different like that's that's crazy speed six six weeks the reason they harvest at six weeks is that culture and market desires a really small bird so I got those birds to the end To Harvest Day and can remember harvesting them with the boys and the boys getting into it and enjoying it and that was like one of my more more easy days because the boys were into it it wasn't like running around chasing them around trying to get them to pile brush or cut grass so I don't know it left a I think being there it was like oh well it's time to go home we could do this at home we have land we I've always wanted to be on this land that we're on and we've always lived here since Rebecca and I got married we never really did anything with it beyond mountain boarding. We always liked to live in the country, whether we were growing fruit or not. And we said, Hey, you know what? I was so good at those chickens. Let's do, let's do them when we get home. Now, when I got home, and started my own chickens and didn't have somebody else's operation telling me exactly what to do is a totally different story. Like when you start out on your own, I had the disasters just like anybody else. We got our first birds, Uno Dos, Trace, and Quattro. And I lost half of them within the first two weeks. And the other two by predators probably before the first year ended.
1: And, and as you progressed and learned, you know, one of the, the first things, and I think this was actually one of the first ways I discovered you, was the, the documentary you made about permaculture chickens yeah how did you decide to go after an undertaking like that
0: so permaculture chickens came from back to the Honduras thing us starting our own farm we had already been doing homesteading for about 10-ish years and just like in Mount boarding or a lot of other things I've touched for some reason well, being an entrepreneur I like have liked since I was 16, 14 years old when I was raising St. Bernard puppies because I got these St. Bernard's and I was like, how do you how am I going to pay to feed these guys? Oh, I'll sell some puppies. I'll be be a breeder. And this is a way that I can have St. Bernard puppies and make a money from it, make a livelihood from it. And those St. Bernard's actually ended up getting me through college debt free for all four years. And uh, so with mountain boarding, too. I, I couldn't just go out there and ride the board and I couldn't just be a professional and ride for somebody else. I had to ride for myself. So I made movies. I, I organized a national riding competition circuit. I sold mountain boards online at mountainboardshop.com direct uh, drop shipped. I mean, this was in the AOL days too, guys. This is typing you know and then I would have so many different windows up so I could do one work over here and then this would finally load I could go back over there but anyway I had when when I got into homesteading I was like okay how can I make this my right livelihood and so I somebody my mentor had given me we were in a hard place uh you know because I had come across Lyme disease and I was slowing down we had had been doing a market farm but I was having to slow down but I still wanted to be in the movement and I, a mentor gave me the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and so it basically taken away from that book, the idea of taking a concept and teaching it through a video and a companion book. And so I basically did that textbook, and I created a, the concept for permaculture chickens, and launched it on Kickstarter. Now going into Kickstarter, worked worked a month, pretty much full time, on the marketing and i went to the library got checked out a book because you gotta remember we were very broke at that time i mean we had maxed out credit cards because of the lyme disease we we were spending more than we were able to bring in and so we maxed out credit cards we were on food assistance you name it we were we were very close to having to sell a portion of the farm just to get by so I go to the library and check out this book and then I go online for two articles on how to succeed on Kickstarter and together mesh those in and created a plan and long story short, launched that Kickstarter. And basically the success of that Kickstarter was due to borrowing other people's audience, but not just going to them and saying, Hey, could you p- promote permaculture chickens well one it was a good trailer you saw that we took we stepped out on faith spent a lot of money made a nice uh promo video and put together a nice Kickstarter page before it launched and sent to these influencers and you know I'll give you an example like and, and being persistent too if they say no you know kind of come back it, somebody said no I don't really I'm not uh fresh eggs daily she said well I don't really uh promote things that I'm not in I said okay well do you want to be in it (laughs) she's good at treating chickens herbally and I said okay I don't know much about treating chickens with illness would you come in and teach the part about uh chickens with illness and then she she got she adopted this project like it was her own and helped us promote it and she would check the Kickstarter every day and I had seven people on my email list at that time that was my audience seven people and you saw it happen, you became one, thank you, and uh, what was it, 1,200 other people or something like that? And we raised 35,000 in, in 30 days. So it wasn't just for, for lesson learned there, especially now when people approach me, now that I have a significant audience is, the, the, the one looking to borrow an audience still can serve in some way and even if it's not, like that wasn't to put her in the movie it probably didn't do as much for her as it did for me but they see that they they're people they're they have heart and souls and they're looking for like-minded uh people and friends this is a lonely community homesteading but they they need people with uh servants hearts and people who are going to come along and not take more than they give or at least try you know they want to see that happening so i was fortunate enough to pick up on that somewhere in my studies looking on how long i'll launch a kickstarter and listen to pat Flynn's smart passive income and listen to tim Ferriss's podcast and just really devouring online business marketing for a year and a half really before i go into that went into that launch
1: wow that's that's incredible
0: Talk to me a little bit about
1: the feeling, though, like when you're at that point where, you know, you got you're on assistance, you got your credit cards maxed out, but you're kind of pushing all your chips into the center of the table on this one project to say, hey, look, I got to make this work. What's that feeling like? How do you how do you feel like you're ready to make that sort of a leap?
0: It's a ter- it's a, it's a I was going to say terrible feeling. It is. I, it's a very scary feeling. And um but that's part of why i think that we were so successful because it was all or nothing it was this had to work that it wasn't an option now after reading that book we had explored all different kinds of ideas i mean we even thought about going into dropshipping again like when i was mountain boarding uh people would order i would get good results on on google searches somebody would search for mountain boarding and i worked it out so i could get on top of google and people would order a mountain board i wouldn't even see that mountain board i would get the money and then turn around and i just emailed these manufacturers and said hey if i got an order could i then give you the money for the order at the wholesale and then you ship it directly to the customer yeah okay so i i think that was happening even before there was a name for it it's called drop shipping so what was your question i'm sorry i got sidetracked there (laughs) yeah no no worries that feeling though when you're taking that big risk yeah the feeling so it's like when i told the people when i told people this is what we've got oh so i I looked into these different ideas that was one crazy idea and then the other idea was i was going to have this event this endurance event where you tie a tie something onto a bull and everybody chases the bull And it was off that theory that man is the endurance beast and he can outrun anything if he just you know slowly goes after it doesn't matter how fast it is a cheetah a man can catch a cheetah and that's how some of the more primitive or whatever men would would hunt well i even called insurance companies man rodeo companies whatever so i explored these different ideas so when it, when you finally land on oh what am i best what am i good at what do i want to get better at okay it's chickens when we finally landed on something that seemed kind of solid versus the bull chasing and the <laughs> oh and then we thought about getting in drop shipping we thought about drop shik- shipping eco furniture or buying a company we looked into like a, a bike company that was already established that was drop shipping but i just didn't see myself liking that over the long term and that lasting a while so yeah when we so when we so when we got onto chickens it was like okay this has to happen and the funny thing is when we told friends or family they knew what kind of situation we were in we we're like okay we're gonna make this movie and they're kind of like okay but you know you could tell inside their head they're like you're gonna make a chicken movie oh wait not just a chicken movie a permaculture chicken and this is your solution for getting out of this okay <laughs> We'll see. It. Bless their hearts. They didn't say anything. Too much love, supported us, and it's crazy what career that little chicken movie launched, and how many we, we've sold all over the world. And sure, I might not sell uh, four in my county, but with the internet and seven billion people on there, you can be you could be a a, a red wiggler expert, and that's all you do. <laughs> is create content and sell products around Red Wiggler uh, composting works. You can be so niche. It's absolutely crazy with so many people online. And YouTube or uh, Amazon, Google, you better believe they're working hard on getting more and more people online. So there's good future in that. And it was just all or nothing. We had no choice. It was this to chickens was gonna work or we're gonna sell the farm. That community
1: point though that you're making of, yeah, you might only four people in your county know who you are. But then when you look at the world, you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. One of the things I've, I've been amazed by is when you guys went out on the, the Great American Farm Tour, how you created just so many different connections as you went from, from state to state. What what was that experience like for you as a family to, to go through that?
0: Uh, that was very hard. Uh, but the experience doing that together, it was hard and it was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity I say because if you did it again you would die like it's that much stress we had no idea it would be that difficult to to move pretty much every day every other day every third day to make a movie every day to manage four children It was a lot of you know Gideon wasn't even sleeping through the night Gideon was still in diapers at the time so um that, that that part was crazy and all and and all and it was hard to enjoy the moment because we always had to think about what next because it was so fast but you couldn't really slow down either because you can't be at somebody's place too long and you can't be uh in an rv park very long either because what your your neighbor's like 10 feet away from you guys got to remember we're used to the country 10 feet away you can't really just let your kids go out and play and you get get some rest it just doesn't happen so but the big takeaways is that part of the problem was that we were we had we were making movies every day that's what we did that's how that's our business if if somebody doesn't show up to work they don't get paid so we don't make a movie we don't get paid so we're we're making these movies but that's part of the benefit that was part of the problem is that we had this workload but that's the benefit now because we can look back and say yeah we really did have a good time at that farm or we really remember and look how much fun we had at the uh, at the Grand Canyon or whatever. And we have to look back on that. And then you said meeting all these people that was the in and, and going into it, just like we knew it wasn't going to be that we didn't know it was going to be that hard. We also didn't realize how powerful and effective making those connections would be we knew that this would be an everlasting story that the great American farm tour will still be relevant and interesting 50 years from now on YouTube and through our movie maybe in the future making a coffee table book with pictures on it or something it's pretty timeless we didn't realize how powerful building up that black book would be so to speak so meeting all those people in face like the other top YouTubers I know uh, Homestead YouTubers, I know, I know I've been I've been at their house. <laughs> I've met their kids. I've seen their farm in person. I have their texts and same thing. I, I now have, you know, coming back. We had a milk guy. We have a pig. I just texted a pig guy today to, you know, ask him a question about feeding pig salt. So and answers me really quick like a friend. Why? Because we are friends and, and this this blessing of the online community brings this lonely world together and makes us all feel better. But it's always great. You know, looking back on that, I can always say it's always great to have a physical connection to that. And this is it, too. Like when we travel, we did meetups. We didn't have to do meetups. That didn't that didn't uh, bring up our bottom line that that didn't. I, I could have made another video and made more money. You know what I'm saying? I could have took that time. But I think it's so important to I guess that's how much I believe in creating community is that uh, that's what happened. As we traveled, we would have these meetups and people would come to meet us because that's all they knew and then 50 or 100, sometimes 100 people would be there and I don't think they knew it but they weren't really coming for us because they would come for us but then go away with a couple of friends and there are meetups, there are meetups where people have kept meeting up after that so that's been a blessing uh from that's been something that's come from the farm tour for sure if
1: you look back like say over the last 10 years or so and the growth of the homesteading movement as a whole what do you think the the biggest driving factors of that have been
0: ah for uh i would i would say people are getting they want better food that's the broad answer so they might want better food because they are in a health crisis or they might want better food because they need it cheaper and and better means cheaper and they can do it cheaper at home right or uh better food in in our situation well our situation was the health crisis we needed better food for that and now food is our medicine and they nay and no matter what they're doing it for, ultimately they're doing it for freedom. And they might come out right and say that we want to know where our food comes from, or we don't want to depend on Walmart or whoever, but you'll notice, I noticed we hadn't, we, we didn't make a habit of shopping at Walmart before we left, but after we left, Walmart became our Amazon. Walmart became our best friend. I mean, where else could you go get diapers and a tire gauge? in one place and oil for a big, a big machine, right? Where else could you go to get all that? So Walmart became our best friend, but we also noticed that Walmart was carrying kombucha and organics, not just organic milk, but other organics. So is that because the Waltons are getting convicted about their about, you know, uh, provide people healthy food? No. It's because people are coming in there with their dollar bills and saying, could you get some kombucha? Is there kombucha here? Or if they stock it in a test, people are actually buying it. And they're buying this organic. They're buying organic milk, so let's put some organic cheese on the shelves. You see what I'm saying? So there's a movement for better food. And so home, and home, there's a, if Walmart's getting organics, that means homesteading homestanding is a little bit behind it because at first you 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 throw out the conventional milk right that's what happened to us when you when you figure out that this is not the best thing to do you you get rid of the milk and you replace it with organic and before you know it you have your own a2a2 raw milk cow that you're moving every day like that we're doing (laughs) you have two and then you're not just getting the raw milk which you're making cultured cream and yogurt and all kinds of good stuff so do you see what I'm saying so it, for us it started with replacing the milk and eventually it was like oh you could go and buy organic Swiss chard uh Swiss chard or kale for three bucks a bunch but I could grow it for 30 cents a bunch
1: <laughs> and it just becomes an easy decision yeah, <laughs> yeah. well and, and if you, if you were to extrapolate that further and look out over the next five to ten years where do you think things are going is it just more and more kind of local based communities and more and more local homesteads or is DC some sort of other progression out there
0: I see uh definitely more and more people growing their own there's definitely more of an interest even just recently even just since uh even since just this year 2019 I don't know if you've noticed but there's a lot of YouTube channels on homesteading blowing up like getting a lot of views and a lot of engagement and that just wasn't there a year ago And that's encouraging. And so the future is, um, and not everybody watching these YouTube shows even grow a thing. People watching us are there for entertainment, there for fascination. They're very, on the very beginning of their journey, just finding out where food comes from. I mean, we've had comments saying, you shouldn't kill uh, your animals and eat them. You should go to the store and get the meat, meaning, that didn't have to die to get there okay so there's a disconnect but people are starting to get connected to it And so i hope i can't call this but i hope something happens in the food industry like happened in the hotel industry and the uh, taxi industry where now the biggest the biggest producer of vacation lodging or travel lodging is Airbnb and they don't own a single building. And and the biggest transport company, taxi transport company doesn't own a single vehicle, Uber. So I'm hoping that somehow we can get food in on people's in people's on, on people's phones, on people's smartphones and somehow somebody can disrupt the the big ag through a very Convenient local connected way. I mean, could Uber drivers not be just transporting people but be transporting food? And if you've got extra cucumbers, could you somehow put them up there and say, Yeah, you know, and, and be selling to somebody 30 minutes? You know, so I think that may hopefully will leverage. The community to give this concept of whatever uber and airbnb are what do you call that i don't know community-based businesses i don't know somehow if we if that can happen with food that would be really amazing and encouraging
1: as you think though about your farm specifically and, and what you guys are trying to do there what's next i mean i know you're, you're building out a new system with pigs like where, where do you see things going and going at your place
0: uh turkeys <laughs> no, no, like, you want a bigger vision don't you so no we we were get some turkeys this year yeah this is our second year going in pigs uh, just we using pigs to help clear a forest uh given their speed and us just getting two pigs a year either we're gonna have to get more pigs or this is gonna be a five-year project uh being um uh, still sort of in the cusp of spring here it's an overwhelming time so i'm like okay i'm cool with that taking five years but who knows after a winter rest and being at joel salatin's and learning that you can net profit sixty thousand dollars um in a season with pigs on 20 acres working an hour a day so you know we've we've dabbled and thought about maybe getting back into market farming just to you know maybe at least create a model where You can at least pay for your feed because it's not that much harder to say if you need 25 chickens a year it's not that much harder to grow 50 and sell those 25 and pay for the feed so there's some of those thoughts going around and us as we're not just a homestead anymore you know we're a learning center whether people come here or not it's a learning center because we have the we have the cameras rolling and so we 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 don't necessarily expect everybody to go out and you know have the the six cows and the and Icelandic's following them and then the six raised beds and the 10,000 acre square garden and the uh the six uh, I did say the raised beds and then 500 runs of Cornish cross we eat and consume all we love to eat here we love to be at home we eat a lot of vegetables a lot of meat we feed a lot of our vegetables to the livestock um but now I know and realize most people aren't going to do that most people can't put 20-ish hours a week into their farm like we do but they can put 10 and still grow 75 percent of their own food by only copying our chick our meat chicken system and our animal garden miracle in the sense that you just have one garden plot and you have some chickens that kind of help you out with that you can grow 75 percent of your own food in just 100 days i mean we proved that in 2016 we started with nothing day one and by the end of it we were eating 75 percent of our food from our land and and that was only taking up half an acre
1: so so as you build out a system like that because i've always been really impressed with how you've approached this um you know right now i'm struggling to come up with a way to mob graze geese where i've got these thirty mm-hmm. geese and i'm got yeah, the poultry netting and i'm moving them every two days and, and trying to see if i can actually yeah. make a system of that so that i don't have to do all like the feed that you would for chickens say
0: yeah that would be neat uh,
1: like how, how do you document that how do you approach trying to capture that how do you think through the, the different variables for for creating a system when you're approaching something like that
0: so i think permaculture taught me this you think about what the animal or what the well for your geese you would say what does he need or what is they what do they need and then what do they give so in my system it's not just that we have geese okay so if we were to implement a geese system a goose system geese whatever (laughs) i would say okay what do they do okay that's an event that's that's what they need they need a lot of grass but they also give a lot of manure in that system it would be good to run Maybe geese, because they're manuring, because they eat grass, maybe let's run them on the, on the poorer part of the pasture, because maybe they're not as picky as cows. I don't know about geese, but sheep, for example, you can run cows first and let them get the best grass. And because we have dairy cows, I've learned, they need to have short grass too. Like we're looking at six to nine inches. So, let the dairy cows have that and then you move them out well you still have a lot of grass there right now we're just mowing it so it can then start again and come back even fresher and nicer well you can do sheep you can do one sheep per cow and it not even take any more load off your land because sheep eat so much different so move the cows out And then run the sheep in there and they're getting what the cows didn't eat you could do the same thing with beef cows you don't you can push them harder they don't have to have such delicate nice grass and then oh got all these flies on these cows and these cows have left all this manure but it comes back green right there where the manure is and it's green there pretty much forever but uh, they don't eat it at first and it's only green right there It just seems like ah such a waste well if you're on chickens three days behind the cows f- f- fly flylar fly lar has been deposited in that cow petty and it's become maggots in there they're not a fly yet so they haven't flown off and those chickens will go in there and scratch that manure and spread it out and then grab the 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 maggots out of there and eat them so it's a food source for the chickens it's cut down on pest cycles there's less flies bugging the cows and it spread that manure so it's thinking about how everything works together so with your geese um and same thing i'm doing and i've done with the cows is you know you figure out try and figure out how how to know if they've eaten enough like with a chicken you could go in there at night and fill their crop and if their crops full they've eaten enough so i don't know what the tests are for goose but doing some research on that and then just watching it and saying and doing experiments you might say well maybe i should move them um every day or do like I have a I have my sea monsters meat chickens in a a run that they can encompass the whole thing and that won't be moved for a week but I move their shelter every day inside of that and it concentrates the manure so keeping records and keeping track like with our sea monsters we said you know one year we we fed them all dry food and then uh one run and then the other one we fed them all uh soaked food and end up saving us 25% soak food. So running experiments, observation, and um, yeah, going from there.
1: Mm, awesome. Um, I'm definitely gonna try that because I, I, I believe in this sort of mob grazed goose.
0: <laughs> well, the goose thing, you got something there because we need to bring back the Christmas goose. They also lay eggs and they can eat a lot more of the grass. We're interested in ducks and ducks would be amazing under the meat shawl the meat shawl system because they can eat just grass. Okay. And they would be perfect under the meat shawl, which is a cheap bill. It's just basically a roof with wheels on it. And you just move that around and have a net around it. But you know, letting the ducks out in the evening, maybe a little bit before dark to totally free range and just diversify our paleo plate. You know, we eat a lot, we're eating a lot of meat. So okay. it'd be nice to have a duck once a week RMI. Yeah.
1: Oh, no, I mean, that's, that's been the main thing that I've started here was with the ducks. And, well, yeah, I'm trying to see if I can, you know, get the ducks to pick through the insects that seem to follow the geese from the manure. Almost, almost like the, the chicken thing. And so it's – but it's just, yeah, it's a lot of playing around and experimenting. So one, one last question for you. As as somebody who's listening to this podcast and they're, you know, commuting to an office job and kind of hearing about the stuff that you're doing at your farm or seeing your YouTube videos and, and dreaming of of kind of growing their own food and, and doing that sort of thing, what advice would you have for them if they wanted to take steps towards that towards a type type of life?
0: Start right outside your door. And that might just mean a container. Just that that might just be a what is it, six inch? Uh, terracotta pot and getting some potting soil where you got that pot and getting some basil seed where you got that pot and either putting that in your window or on your porch and just growing some basil and at the end of it uh, pulling some of that basil off shredding it or you know tearing it by hand or just putting it on like that on straight up to a pizza and if you don't do homemade uh, pizza go buy pizza Bring it home and put your basil on there. <laughs> and you'll see, you'll see that you've went and bought that pizza and you've had this, and you, and you put this basil on it. You're going to be so excited about that basil. The pizza is just a side story. And you're going to appreciate that you've, you've, you're eating you're, you're eating a story that you were a part of. And usually when you have success with one thing, next thing you'll know it, you'll be growing. You'll say, I think we could do tomatoes. Oh, and then, you know, next to this basil, and you see where I'm going with this. And then, oh, let's mash these. You know, and, and you, you know, you cut up a tomato and have it with your salad, with your pizza. And then the next thing you know, it. Oh, well, wait, wait a minute. We could grow this lettuce. And then you've grown your your lettuce and your tomato. And oh, what about onions? And you've grown the salad. And then oh, we we could actually make our own pizza sauce from these tomatoes. Oh, okay and then oh cheese <laughs> you see where i'm going then you've done bought the family milk and cow <laughs> and uh oh and then growing some wheat too for the crust right <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah eventually you got your own homegrown pizza though, yeah, right, so right don't, there
0: don't, don't go too much for the big vision yet don't grow your own pizza yet just grow the basil
1: release the quackers!
0: <laughs> Are some of you still laying eggs, huh? Oh, I think you are. Okay, I'll leave you alone.
1: (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed hearing that conversation as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. It was just an awesome experience, and I'm really thankful that Justin was able to take the time to do that. If you have been living under a rock and are still not familiar with Justin Rhodes, you really should check out his YouTube channel. It's Justin Rhodes on YouTube. Or you can go to his website, Abundant Permaculture, and learn more about some of the courses he offers and some of his documentaries and all the other cool projects he has going on. I'll leave links to Justin's YouTube channel and his website in the show notes of this podcast. And so, yeah, it's been awesome hanging out with you guys today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Goldshaw Farm podcast. If you ever want to learn more about us and what we're doing here on our farm, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Goldshaw Farm. Goldshaw Farm, just like that. Uh, You can learn more about what we're doing with our geese. You can learn more about what we're doing with our ducks. You can learn more about what we're doing with our 600 tree permaculture orchard. And you can just follow us in our progress as we work to try to start a farm here in northern Vermont. And thank you guys for all of you who are writing the reviews and, and giving us the ratings within you know, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and Google Play. The more you guys write about the podcast, the more you guys share the podcast with your friends and family, the more we grow. And I am really grateful and appreciative of that. And so, yeah, that's it. That's all we got for today's episode. Um, I will be back very soon with another episode and another story about somebody who is either farming or homesteading or just plain old chasing their dreams. And with that, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song and end the show.
0: It's got a soul, this here old farm. It falls asleep. Inside my arms, we work the field. Under the stars The love is here At Goldshop Farms A city life yet yeah, had its charms But we would dream Of the fields Under the stars I fall asleep Inside its arms The love is here At Goldshop Farms The love is here here at